Hello there, one and all. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode number 182. Happy Easter tide to you. Hope you're having a glorious time, you beautiful, belligerent bunnies, you, you chattering chicks. Here we are again, as happy as can be. All good friends and jolly good company. I hope you're having a lovely Easter. I hear there's like a carry-on movie, carry-on film uh, marathon in the UK at the moment. Gosh, I would love to be watching that. But here I am, once again, manfully uh, and nutritionally delivering you the uh, Eastertide podcast for 2022. Uh, But it is good to be here. And it's a lovely spring day out here. It's absolutely delightful in, uh, in the UK this weekend. Maybe beach weather, maybe swimming weather. It feels like it's like 50, nearly 60 degrees here, but it feels like the summer here in Colorado. So lovely day, little bit allergy ridden, uh, maybe after my travails playing golf. And I have to say, if you're going to play golf, forget the golf buggy, forget the golf cart. Why do you try to walk it? Why do you try to use a push cart? I did consider uh, actually carrying my bag because back in the day when I was a wee lad, teenage years in my 20s i carried a heavy golf bag for 18 holes now i do not think i can probably do that anymore i mean pushing a golf bug bag around uh, a hilly golf course is uh, quite difficult lots of travails anyway i'll be uh, casting some stories to you uh, regarding my golfing exploits i know absolutely fascinating chap oh you are such a oh you're a wonderful chap you're just uh, full of all these wonderful stories and insights and everything else but uh, hopefully you're having a lovely time uh, hopefully you found yourself some glorious chocolate eggs still it's very very difficult to find those hollow chocolate eggs here in america and uh, and for all my travails i never found a uh, hot cross bun not a single one so i'm still uh well i've only had one of the chocolate croissants from the other day i hope they last hope they can get stale I think you can rejuvenate them by putting them in the microwave and, and, and melting all that lovely chocolate. I mean, that's a possibility, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's really my that's really my treat today. Now, I am going to try to cook a piece of roast beef in the air fryer today. So, as, as you heard, I've got this new toy. I love gadgets, don't you? Um, I had this air fryer, and I put the chocolate croissants in that crisp that up lovely chocolatey gooey mess on the podcast last time around but uh, i'm gonna try to air fry the beef but before i do that i was trying to find beef yesterday trying to find a particular cut and believe it or not americans and the uk jargon for butchers and meat scholars out there meatologists or whatever you want to call yourselves then uh, it's completely different so if you go like if you're gonna play pin pin the tail on the cow on uh, on uh, on the moo cow here, uh, then basically like the leg piece here. So we're going. Uh, we're just looking at a. Uh, we're looking at a, a, a sketch of a cow, and you can click on various pieces of the cow. But the shank is uh, is taken from the leg of the cow. That is across UK, US, Aussie, and New Zealand. Now the top, the rump steak, the rump steak in the UK, US, and New Zealand, but it's called the sirloin Scotch fillet in the u.s that's a tasty lean steak from the lower back area of the cow you're saying chappy why aren't you cooking lamb well i'm not really like lamb in a curry but not very not very keen on lamb at easter here so the flank the flank is the uk aussie and new zealand 
That's the tasty steak taken from the lower belly of the cow, very similar to skirt steak, but it's known as the London broil in the US, the London broil in the US. The fillet, the fillet, the eye fillet in the Aussie and New Zealand, uh, tenderloin in the US though, the ace of steaks, the fillet, or fillet, is the most premium and tender of all cuts and properly prepared and cooked fillet steak will melt in your mouth. The skirt in the UK and Aussie is known as the hanger in the US. I mean, it's just so confusion. The T-bone is, is universally known absolutely everywhere. The ribeye, uh, as it's uh, known in the UK. Uh, the brisket is the same, same area here. The flat iron in the UK and US, but it's the oyster steak in Aussie and New Zealand, so there's no consistency amongst the uh, amongst our good old friends in Aussie and New Zealand as it is in the US. So it's all very, very, very confusing. So I was looking for like a round cut. The I didn't want the rump. I wanted I wanted the round piece of steak here, uh, round piece of beef, and uh, nobody uh, nobody knew what I was looking for. I mean, I think it's probably known as something completely different here in the US. The beef round is a large primal. Did you love a primal cut? consisting of well-exercised muscles, a bit like my leg muscles from playing golf yesterday, from the leg and rump of the cow, and also the top round. So that's what I was trying to find, but me and the butcher were speaking completely different languages. It was almost a case of tomato and tomato. Last time on the podcast, on Friday, I talked about the hot-crossed croissants. Now, again, try putting a teep in to say that. It's incredibly difficult. Uh, I couldn't find the uh, hot cross buns, so I've developed and adapted hot cross croissants, which is basically uh, pan au chocolat with a painted Nutella cross on it. And I put it in the air fryer. Absolutely delicious. Melted chocolate everywhere. Also, I talked about the sandy leave-in hair clay that really doesn't work, but makes your hair feel like you're in the Bahamas or Turks and Caicos or somewhere somewhere in the Indian Ocean absolutely lovely um, but today we're going to be uh, talking about how about an introduction to a zoom call here I'm an avid and obsessive knitter that's an introduction when you try to introduce yourself and give yourself a little bit of an elevator pitch on a zoom call and you describe yourself as an avid and obsessive knitter um, also when you eat something that's slightly irritating to you like allergic uh when you you know your throat swells up slightly just a question what happens you know does does the body break it down or are you going to have the allergic reaction through all of the digestion journey uh my favorite underwear as well that these these things have bolstered they've lasted for quite some time and I'm going to be revealing my my, my favorite underwear. Uh, also, we we're talking about earlier, uh, right at the top of the podcast, about how different cuts of meat are described differently in the UK and US. And it gets very, very confusing when you're talking to a butcher. The butcher thinks you're an idiot. And then you start pointing to your rear and rump and bottom. And then you need to call it an ass when it's an ass. I mean, it could, oh, it could get very, very, very confusing as well. Uh, also... Uh, golf yesterday, played some golf, and um, I, I was deciding to whether or not slip on a shirt. 
They don't warn in a few years. So probably some years that I used to play in uh, in New Mexico, and it had a uh, a Spanish phrase, Spanish word on there. A little bit worried about uh, what I may attract by wearing this shirt. I know you're intrigued, and I'll tell you about that later. Also, uh, when you're in grocery shopping in the U.S., is there lane etiquette etiquette that you have to uh, that you have to remember or go through? Because this is a problem. Uh, I, I don't know when I'm pushing a grocery trolley or cart. Should I be going on the left side or the right side? Is there any side? Are there aggressive drivers? Is there cart rage? And I think there is. I mean, people gave me uh, the red stare. They gave me the they gave me the devil stare basically when they're pushing around this cart, and I was going into their lane. I think there is an unwritten rule, and I do know nothing about it. Uh, then the pleasure of a workman bending over doing some work in the side of the street. Revealing all to or to every all and sundry. Uh, yes, I saw that as well. Have you ever been delivered any inferior chocolate? Uh, my new neighbor and her moo-moos. And the smell of seaside in Colorado as well. And the time I introduced a Zoom call very, very recently when I was actually upside down. And I seriously did have a fear because I'm basically living in the metaverse now. I had the fear that the blood may rush to my head and possibly cause me to faint. Do you think that now everybody is doing Zoom calls uh, that they've become a little bit too familiar? Because we're in the metaverse or we're virtual, you can give away and share a little bit too much information that you wouldn't share if you're face-to-face. I mean, who would start talking about... Uh, basically minor league baseball at the top of a Zoom call and talking about the various minor league baseball stadiums that they've visited and seen and been to and who serves the best hot dogs. I mean, this is what people talk about now. I mean, admittedly, I was upside down at the start of the Zoom call and couldn't turn, turn my face around, so that was causing sort of all sorts of amusement. I mean, people could have thought I was an Aussie down under and everything else. Yeah, don't worry about that, mate. I'm down under. I've got racks for brains. You know, it could it could all be all of that could come into play. But then when somebody, and this is very very brave here, and I'm just wondering if this lady uh, used to do this activity at the start of the pandemic, or is this her lockdown, not seeing anybody, not being able to go outside type of activity? The lady described herself as an avid and obsessive knitter. Now, maybe, maybe she can't put that on a dating profile or doesn't want to. Like maybe she's, there's not enough room on her dating profile. She's holding up a fish. Or maybe she's like Instagramming some beautiful, huge lob- lobster tails and lobster claws. And there's not enough room to put on a dating file that she's an avid and, dare I say, obsessive knitter. I don't know if I'd want to reveal this. Although, um, you know, part of my problem recently is I'm wearing socks in one place. I'm wearing all of my socks in the ball of the uh, foot. And darning has gone out of fashion. I mean, I don't know how to darn. I do wish that my grandmother had taught me how to darn. I was talking to her a few minutes ago. I should have asked my grandmother, Joyce, how I can darn socks. Because I think the thriftiness is very, very important. And, and, and there's not a, not a wear in any other area other than the ball of my foot. So I must be putting all of my substantial weight onto the ball of the foot or something's rubbing. I mean, I've checked my, checked my shoes. Is there an embedded stone? 
all of my socks are being worn. But maybe this is the thing. Maybe during lockdown, instead of making banana bread, instead of trying, you know, trying out new different types of soups that I made or making sourdough bread, maybe I should have learned to darn socks and I could have been also an avid and obsessive knitter. So I'm slightly, uh, slightly allergic to spinach and the sort of spinach green that you put on the salad. And it makes my throat, I mean, it's not like I need uh, some sort of uh, EpiPen or anything in my neck uh, or anything along those lines. It's not that bad. Uh, but it's like, you know, when you pick up stinging nettles to make a lovely nettle soup when you're younger. In the 80s, when we're more thrifty, then, uh, yeah, if you, if you grasp the nettles hard, it doesn't sting you. And then when you boil the nettles, all the stinging capacity goes out. You have a beautiful green soup that's wonderful for you of all the nutrients and goodness and everything else. And the same thing with spinach, as I thought. But you know what? I, you know, eat it makes the throat slightly I thought well that's it I've eaten it it's going to be very good for me rich in iron and all everything but then I start getting as it digests and passes through all parts of my body I'm getting that little tickle a little slight little tickle at the when you've almost forgotten about the spinach and you just get that little tickle have you ever had that little tickle before right at the end you know you think okay um you know I've, I've got all the goodness I, I went through the slightly irritated allergic throat but then right at the end of you almost forgotten about it you get the little tickle and I don't know why that why that's the case maybe it's my age maybe it's an age thing I think your digestion does go to put when you over the age of 21 but uh, that's that's what that's what it started happening to me so I don't know if I can have as much spinach as my in my diet as uh, as I'd like to have. I'd probably be grateful though. At least the tickle hasn't become an itch. So I want to give a uh, hats off to the industrial strength of the Gildan underwear. Now I know some guys and, and, and ladies talk about this all the time that men are very very poor when it comes to wearing pristine boxer shorts or pants, tidy whities whatever, without any holes. Now, I want to say hats off to the Gildan underwear brand. Because, yeah, they're you know, not the most, it's not like it's Calvin Klein, although I've had Calvin Klein's and you get a wearing in the crotch. With the Gildan, though, it's lasted a long time, like a year, maybe a year and a half. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a clean chap. I wash them regularly. There's no holes in the underwear or, or just the beginnings of holes in some of the pairs. That's like a year and a half of constant wear. In a, you know, occasionally you go commando as well. In the summer, you don't want the Betty Swallocks. But um, it, it, I'm very, very impressed with these guys here. It's not like they've sewn in together with iron, iron rung or anything like that. It's not like it's been uh, put together, it's glued together. There's like a, a layering of Gorilla Glue in the crotch or or uh, extra strong adhesive no none of that but they uh they, they they keep the boys in the barracks and uh and nothing nothing has passed no black holes have uh, have emerged in the uh in the substance of the underwear so i'm very very happy about that and i just want to give if you're thinking about 
changing your underwear brand, gents, then Gildan may be the way forward. I mean, this isn't an advert, but I can say can safely say for two years they've kept they've kept everything upright, everything in in place, and there's been utterly no slippage. When I was looking up the name of the brand of underwear, the Gildan underwear, it, Giordano's came up, and it made me think that if you had uh, stuff crust underwear, how you know what, what would be your preference if you had to wear uh, a piece of underwear as uh, a, a piece of pizza as underwear? Then w- would you would you prefer the thin crust? I mean, that's the whole thing, I suppose. If you're wearing the thin crust New York style pizza underwear. I mean, it might get a little bit crispy. There may be some chafing there. Um, but everything is very minimal. So in the summer, there'll be a little bit more air coming in, I imagine. If you do if you do the stuffed crust Chicago-style pizza underwear, you've got a bit of problem. Firstly, you've got molten cheese right next to your crown jewels. And you don't want any of that sort of smelting going on, do you? And also, um, you know, you could be allergic to the artichoke. Or a jalapeno may spice up your life. Maybe you want that. Maybe that's the thing to get you up in the morning. If you have a serrana pepper next to your, next to the altogether, that could that could wake you up, get you going first thing in the morning. So, I mean, what else do we have? Would the cauliflower crust, a healthier pizza crust uh, type of underwear, would that uh, would that help you? Would you prefer more meats? Would you go and double meatball? Or are there, would there then be too many balls going on? I mean, these are things you have to think about here as, as, we, as, we, go through, uh, as we go through the situation, all this inflation and cost of everything. Maybe you could double up your pizza buying and eating habits with your underwear habits too. So cooking uh, lots of vegetables today, I think. So I saw broccoli and uh, woman's life-changing broccoli hacks sparks debate as she gets rid of the best part. Prepping vegetables is a boring job that takes time and effort, but one woman has shared her life-changing broccoli hack that has divided opinions online. Stephanie shared how she cooks the vegetables in every way, ensures no mess and requires very little effort on her TikTok. Turns out, not everybody cooks their broccoli like this, she uh, captioned on the video. Instead of cutting the broccoli into little florets and putting them into the saucepan and boiling water, as most do, she submerges the entire tree into the pot with the stem poking out. She then leaves it to boil like this until it's cooked. Steph then cuts off the head of the vegetables and discards the stem, releasing each tiny tree. She described her method as easy, not sieving, no messing, uh, but others are very, very unsure. I think this is a brilliant idea. Less mess. I'll try it next time. You've changed my life. A third kind of what the heck. You've cut off and removed the best part of the broccoli. The stem is the best bit, says another commenter. Broccoli was, of course, George H.W. Bush's, the former president's, least favorite vegetable. He couldn't even eat it. I think even he tried to eat it one time and passed out. Another example of the whole sort of language barrier in the UK and the US, and I have this problem fairly constantly, even after 20 years of living in the US. So I call the uh, things that you cut your trees down with and roses, as you can tell, probably from just the essence of this podcast, I'm very, very green thumbed. I have green fingers everywhere, and it's not sticking my fingers into the delicious nettle soup. <clears throat> no, it's, I'm very much in the genes, uh, very much a gardener. <clears throat> and then 
I wanted to talk about the whole cutting these, these scissors you used to cut. Now, in the UK, they're called secateurs. In American English, they're pruning shears or hand pruners. So imagine how, you know, how confusing it, it becomes when you start uh, comparing, are they scissors, hand pruners, secateurs? I mean, this isn't the only thing that's confusing between the pruning shears and the secateurs. But if you're going online to research DIY projects, which I do nearly every second of the day, the different terminology between the US and the UK uh, and Australia can make the results very, very confusing. Like a wrench, that's a spanner. The descriptive adjectives used for those are the same, but here are some of the, also some of the other very confusing tool references that we have. The box end wrench, ring spanner, flare nut or tube wrench, crow's foot spanner, the lug wrench. That sounds like the sort of thing my old teacher would clip to my ear, the lug wrench. That's the wheel brace. The spud bar is the crowbar. The hex key is the allen key. Oh dear. The upholstery hammer is the tack hammer. The box cutter is the utility knife, Stanley knife. The mitre saw is the mitre saw, but it's spelt differently. It's not M-I-T-E-R, it's M-I-T-R-E. Oh, wire wool is steel wool. Hand pruners, secateurs, the string trimmer, the whipper snipper. I would love my, I, I want to change my name. I want my pseudonym to be Whippersnipper. Hello, have I ever introduced myself to you? I'm the Whippersnipper. And the hand truck is the trolley. And again, that was confusing at the golf course yesterday. I was asking for trolleys and the guy was like rolling his eyes at me. He had no clue what I was talking about. So I decided to go back on the uh, links yesterday. I had a lovely weekend trying to teach my darling to play golf and not get too bored by the whole process, but I think I'm doing fairly well already. I think I'm a, a decent, uh, quite encouraging teacher that even when the ball gets hit behind and it nearly strikes you in the foot, then you just have to remain patient and incredibly, incredibly calm. But as I said, I had trouble with a whole, uh, I mean, I, I didn't know what a, tr you know, trolley is what I would normally call a golf cart, a hand golf cart. Uh, but I didn't know it was called a hand golf cart, so I had to explain in nauseating detail to the uh, to the greenskeeper what I was actually looking for here. And then finally he said, oh yes, you're looking for the hand cart. No, my dear boy, it's a trolley. It's a trolley. And then, then the wind was bustling. I had to, my hair was all over the place. I had to go and buy myself a, a, a new hat. It's all, all very, very stressful. Windy, uh, cold conditions uh, on the links. Um, but very, very much, very much, very, very fun. Enjoyed, and my my button popped off the trousers just before, so I had to find another pair of trousers uh, to wear before I played. And uh, I was could play a very good game, um, but I did uh, I did lose one of my balls. Uh, but I went looking for the balls, and then I found this delightful ball that uh, embossed on it on the logo on the balls. Was, uh, was a pair of underpants. Uh, could have been some badgie smugglers, uh, but no, I think it was a pair of uh, tighty whities with the American, uh, with, the, with, the, with the stars and stripes on the underpants. And, th and these were embossed all over the ball. It was basically a ball with scattered underpants all over there. 
And I didn't want to have the situation where, I mean, I didn't really want to lose my underpants. Um, you know, because I think it became my lucky ball for the entire game. So I came to the ninth hole, I was only playing nine holes, and I struck my underpants ball and I lost my pants. It, it trickled uh, over the fairway onto the road and uh, stood by watching all these cars and the uh, underpants ball was bobbing along between the cars and I lost my lucky underpants ball. I did lose my pants. Luckily, I didn't lose. I had plenty of other balls in the bag, so that was fine. Uh, but the uh, very patriotic American underpants ball, I thought would be lost forever. But on the way home, I saw it bobbing along, and I thought I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to probably go across the road, uh, uh, try to avoid getting run over, to pick up this lucky ball, because it really needs to be mounted on a shelf somewhere. It's my reintroduction to the uh, to the fabulous world of golf. So I uh, I scurried between the cars, picked up the ball. It was still in pristine condition. I am not going to play with it anymore, but I'm going to have it embossed and placed it pride of place on my mantelpiece in memory of the day that I didn't lose my pants. So we're continuing our little reference to a German Easter. We hit Good Friday when it was traditional, the Karfreitag, Good Friday, traditionally the fish dinner. Then Ostersonntag, Easter Sunday, the whole family gathers together a festive Easter dinner. Main dish is often lamb. It represents innocence, humility, and carries further religious meanings as well. Uh, also, Ostermontag is Easter Monday. Uh, the whole families again come together to celebrate. In some regions of Eastern Europe, it's tradition for young lads to spray water on innocent victims, usually girls or friends. This may develop into a full-fledged water fight. In Hungary, in adjacent regions, the liquid of choice is a bit of perfume. And of course, real gentlemen use expensive and carefully sectored perfumes for the ladies of their choice. Uh, and then it continues with leftovers. I mean, I don't think you're when you're like looking for the lady of your choice, I wouldn't describe them as the leftovers. I don't think that would go down very well. The traditional leftover dish, though, is ear de gruna sauce, eggs in green sauce. Despite its name, it's delicious favorite, uh, not to confuse with green eggs and ham by Dr. Seuss. So unique uh, German Easter sweets. Confectioners produce a large number of unique and delicious German Easter sweets to hide among the yellow uh, for Cynthia bushes and crocus leaves placed in the Easter basket or to take a starring role on the Easter table. Some examples include nougat-filled eggshells. Yes, real eggshells carefully cleaned and refilled with delicious hazelnut chocolate or shamushkishi. Uh, let me try to pronounce that again. Shamkusi, marshmallow kisses, which are made with fluffy marshmallow cream and robed in dark and milk chocolate or Lee Becker marzipan filled eggs absolutely absolutely delicious hats off to the Deutsch when it comes to these delicious Easter treadle McTreadles so I couldn't find any here in the US 
but here are the best and worst hot cross buns for Easter. Hot cross buns, remember when the only decision you had was whether you wanted yours toasted or fresh, simpler times. Nowadays, the bakery aisle is overtaken by bizarre flavours during Easter. Traditional buns no longer cut it. You can buy rhubarb and custard buns or buns flavoured with strawberries and cream. Mocha coffee and triple chocolate. There's also savoury raisin-free buns, cheddar and onion, chutney, chilli purest look away cheese and marmite as well but the perfect hot crust bun has to be a rounded glazed dark crust with a cross plenty of fruit mix of raisins sultanas and appeal a soft chewy dough and a hint of spice that wafts from the packet as soon as you open it uh, but although the un- unconventional kind of flavor needs to justify changing this winning formula the best way to eat a hot crust bun is toasted and slathered in butter Sweet cinnamon butter is absolutely delicious, uh, but butter both sides, dust them with a little icing sugar and fry them until golden for a cheats French toast. But uh, you can cover up all manner of supermarket sins, dry stodgy dough, wonky cross, no fruit or spice. Uh, but here are the verdict of the UK's best hot cross bun. The best, they say, is Marks and Spencer's fat, sticky buns filled with sultanas, currants, Orange and lemon peel with a lovely cinnamon flavour. Co-op hot cross buns, a perfect plump bun. Don't you love a perfect plump bun? Bouncy? Oh yes, dear. Bouncy too. Soft dough loaded with raisins, juicy sultanas and peel. Just see a right amount of spice. Little deluxe hot cross buns, a hot cross bun that ticks all the boxes. Plump fruit, a sturdy cross, squishy spice dough and familiar HCP flavour. These will be on the Easter table. Tesco finest extra hot cross buns, a bun with fruity, nicely aerated dough, a rounded glazed crust that's a squiggle of a cross. Would gladly trade a chocolate egg for one of these oldies buns. Rounded, glazed crust, generous fruits, chewy dough, and a nice <coughs> dark colour. These are some of the worst ones though. Morrison stodgy dough, a dry crust you can basically peel off, and you have to go digging for the sultanas. The sweet Marks and Spencer's extra chocolatey hot cross buns. An indulgent choice. There's a lot of chocolate in these. And well, there's no fruit or cinnamon aroma. There's no sturdy cross moist dough round with chocolate chips. I like them, but I'll just be having one of them. Morrison's though, the breast Bramley apple cinnamon hot cross buns. The apple did fall far from the tree here. The only fruity aroma sticky is a sticky, sweet, artificial apple flavor. Oldies, salted caramel. A, re- a lesson in why you shouldn't fix something that ain't broken. I can't taste the salted caramel and the chocolate chips are sparse. The cross is included, though. The St. Clement's hot cross bun from Waitrose. Sharpen your bread knives. These were dense, dry, and almost impossible to slice. The fruity scent did slightly resemble a standard hot cross bun. As for the soapy lemon taste, hard pass. Waitrose wholemeal hot cross buns. Wholemeal. Oh, it's an anathema. Oh dear, with barely any fruit, this is just like eating a slice of plain bread and the murky colour makes the cross difficult to spot. Not a wholesome wholemeal feel I was hoping for. One for the ducks. Now I know that uh, the old founder of Playboy, Hugh Hefner, used to walk around in a, uh, in a quite a stylish uh, dressing gown smoking jacket. Now my next door neighbour, she has decided to only wear night attire but she's decided to only wear moomoos. Now, I've seen various iterations of the moomoo this week. 
because not only is she my neighbor, she seems to be stalking me every time I go and take my dogs out from Chappie Towers. She's there watching me dressed in one of her Easter moomoos. Uh, I think we've had a bunny moomoo, we've had a chick moomoo this week. Her windows are scattered with uh, Easter bunnies and Easter egg stickers. Um, I, I don't know if the Moomoo has a hood to it. It may do. But she is always... I mean, I don't know which holiday we're going to celebrate next. What, what's she going to come? What Moomoo will the next holiday take? Will we have a Stars and Stripes uh, Moomoo? I mean, to be honest, I hope the lady just stays covered up. The Moomoo's a fine outfit for this, uh, for this lady. Uh, but I don't really like to be watched with some sort of faux... Moomoo laden lady uh, in a bunny costume. There's enough room in the uh, Moomoo for several fully laden Easter baskets, I think. If you suffer from puffy eyes and a red nose during allergy season, the London Times, uh, Sarah Jossel had some brilliant ideas in the week to, to, to get away from uh, all of this a tissue and puffiness and redness and everything else. But if you turn somebody who has to constantly blow their nose, you're going to need something to soothe the redness and flakiness. It will most likely be raw and sensitive, but the Dermalogica Ultra Calming Barrier Repair, an anti-inflammatory shield that is suitable for everybody, even the most sensitized skins, use it all over the face, layer and all the damaged areas. When the hay fever attacks on pollen heavy days, the face feels hot and scratchy, so a face mist... Oh, it sounds lovely. A face mist is essential for keeping the skin cool and calm and collected. There's a lot of mist packed with irritating or anti-irritating ingredients. But the Biomer Balancing Face Mist is an ultra-nourishing and oil, alcohol and fragrance-free. And then the worst thing for me, the itchy eyes. I know firsthand how hard it is not to rub them to smithereens. And it calls for a mascara change. I know the feeling. My mascara does run when I have the itchy eyes. But the Lancome Hypnose Waterproof, it withstands tears, long hours on the sweaty dance floor. If your eyes are feeling particularly sensitive or if you have contact lenses, La Roche, Posse, Tolerine Mascara is designed for watery streaming eyes, ladies and gentlemen. Also puffiness. By the end of hay fever attack, I can be swollen and look like I've been stung by a bee or multiple bees. Remember that cold things are your friend. You can even go and buy a set of uh, Macara-like ice globes. But also, here's a DIY hack from our lovely people at the Times. Make some green leaf tea. Leave it to cool and then decant into an ice cube tray and freeze overnight. In the morning, you'll have homemade caffeine-packed ice balls that you can rub around the eye area give yourself a good 10 minutes to depuff even better employ somebody to depuff it for you as we tuck into our lovely chocolate eggs and chocolate bunnies the queen is also definitely a chocoholic who loves dark chocolate her former chef has revealed darren mcgrady also said that jordan ramsey could never be a chef at buckingham palace because of his ego mcgrady spent more than a decade cooking for the queen at buckingham palace and balmoral before moving to kensington where he cooked for prince william harry and diana the princess of wales before her death 
In an interview with the UK-based Coffee Friend uh, website, the Queen was definitely a chocoholic. She loved dark chocolate. I used to make a mousse au chocolat at cafe, a dark chocolate mousse, and add some real espresso coffee to intensify the flavor. We also used to make some coffee mousse at banquets when the Queen was entertaining. The most popular dessert on the menu often was the ice cream bomb. We did a bomb glacé copelaire, which was a coffee ice cream filled with praline and decorated with whipped cream and liqueur coffee beans. He also revealed there was no food tasted during his time serving the monarch, uh, so other security measures relied on instead. <clears throat> With the Queen, we would prepare 150 plates, and the Queen's page would come in and pick one out at random. That way, if you were to tamper with the food, you would have to tamper with all of them. From our perspective, it was also meant to get the standard across every plate, not knowing which one the Queen would be eating. There's quite a lot of regimented processes and the queen stuck with a lot. The same dishes throughout the week. If we had a new recipe for a dish, we'd have to send the whole recipe up to the queen and she would look through it. McGrady, who's based in Dallas, Texas, who's cooked for five years presidents, was adamant that Ramsay could never fit the work at Buckingham Palace. Not because he couldn't cook, he's an amazing chef, because of his ego. Yelling and shouting as William and Harry walked into the room would be a big no-no. McGrady's career had a humble start. One of his first jobs was in the Royal Kitchen in 1982, was making food for the Royal Corgis and, and got to Balmoral, peeling carrots for the Queen's horse. You really do start at the bottom and work your way up. With Easter right upon us, many of us look, will no doubt be looking forward and tucking into some chocolate for breakfast on Easter morning as it's well known that the sugary treat replaces all other acceptable foods on the annual holiday. There are all those suggests who will try varying our diet to not include heaps of chocolate madness, I know, but instead think Easter Sunday should be about trying new things. Take Aldi, for example. For some reason, they thought it was a good idea to try and get all of us to enjoy a classic fry-up this Sunday by suggesting we serve it inside half a chocolate Easter egg. The supermarket has been roasted online with a baffling suggestion which posted on Twitter. Don't let your beans run off the plate. Serve your Easter breakfast in a bowl instead. And what bowl better than a chocolate egg? It's traditional to indeed start your day on an egg with an egg that's excellent. A single woman who thought she was being completely ignored by men online has discovered her profile was only being shown to gay men. Jessica Walker signed up for the dating app Hinge on her phone in a bid to find love, but was miffed when all of her potential suitors ignored her attempts to contact them and seemingly only interested in settling down with cute country boys. Maybe the gay guys could set her up with some of the straight lads who rejected them. Thank you for joining this extra, extra excellent podcast today. Uh, keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 182. Happy Easter to you. Hope you have a lovely, lovely time. I'm going to try making this roast beef in the air fryer, the roast potatoes in the air fryer. I may even try to, maybe, may even try to dry some wet socks in the air fryer. Not, you know, after obviously I cook the roast beef, but um, oh, many, many, many things to come on the air fryer front, I believe, over the next uh, few weeks. Looking forward to it. I already have a lovely, uh, lovely turkey roll, turkey breast to go in there. I have a chicken I'm going to put in there. I'm going to air fry it up. I'm going to work this thing to an inch of its life, I have to say. But thank you for listening to the podcast today. Like and subscribe where you can. You can listen across all platforms at Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram if you want to follow the nonsense 
uh, yeah, I post fairly regularly, so you can uh, you can listen and uh, watch, and indeed learn what makes this Mad Hatter tick. And um, so, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, you can listen to the audio version of the podcast. Spotify, Slacker, Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, everywhere. To be honest, <clears throat> if you crack open your uh, chocolate egg. And you hollow it out and you press the chocolate egg piece to your ear. It's like a shell at the seaside. You can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating from the unctuousness of the chocolate shell. Uh, But also we have a musical edition of the podcast as well where we have some Ronan Keating. We have some Police. We have a little bit of Ichiku Bark. We have some Van Morrison. Uh, we have some Father John Misty. We have some Yacht Rock. We have plenty of musical delights for your interest. But coming up next, we have an Easter poem. This is I Watched a Blackbird by Thomas Hardy. I watched a blackbird on a budding sycamore one Easter day. When sap was stirring twigs to the core, I saw his tongue and crocus-coloured bill parting and closing as he turned his trill. Then he flew up, seized on a stem of hay, and up to where his building scheme was underway. As if so, a sure a nest were never shaped on a spray. I will be back again with more Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese next week. Have a sumptuous rest of the holiday weekend. But until next time, it's Chappie out. Cheerio for now.